This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Voice of San Diego podcasts are sponsored in part by a proud supporter of Monarch School and Make-A-Wish San Diego. As a nonprofit news organization, we depend on our members, foundations, and sponsors to provide funding to support the investigative journalism you expect from us. We are very grateful for all of our supporters, and we will recognize them during the show. Make-A-Wish San Diego grants wishes to children with critical illnesses in San Diego and Imperial Counties. Visit sandiego.wish.org to find out how you can help make wishes come true. And Monarch School has served San Diego for nearly three decades, beginning as a one-room education center and expanding into a K-12 comprehensive school designed to educate homeless youth. To find out more or to get involved, visit monarchschools.org. If you like Voice of San Diego's work and want to become a sponsor too, Contact us at development at voiceofsandiego.org. My mom says my neighborhood school isn't good enough. How am I supposed to know my kids are getting the best education possible? Welcome to Good Schools for All, a podcast from the investigative news organization Voice of San Diego. We cut through the jargon and polarized debate to get you the news and ideas that matter. Good schools are at the heart of our democracy and economy, and we're about good schools for all kids. We hope you'll learn and maybe teach us something. Enjoy the show. It should be an excellent school in every community. I'm Scott Lewis. I'm Laura Cohn. And uh, this is a new edition of the Good Schools for All podcast, of course. It's almost summertime. Just about there. Almost graduation. You don't have to do like camps and stuff anymore, right? I did. My daughter is attending a a sleepaway camp, a French immersion sleepaway camp this summer. Yeah. That sounds awesome. I know. At Middlebury. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's, uh, I want to do that. Can I do that? They take away your social media. It's intensive. You make a language pledge to speak only in the, in the target language. Really? How long does that last? Apparently, actually, it grows on them over... No, I mean, the, the how long is the Oh, event? four weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's good. I know. It's pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, we're still in the day camp thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's just a, a whole menu of options. But um, we got our final bill for preschool. Mm-hmm. It was like, uh, now I'm lobbying for a new truck. Because <laughs> <laughs> that frees up that whole part of your budget. <laughs> well, we get through the camps. But the, the, my lobbying for things like that usually takes a year. <laughs> to, to succeed. Yeah. So okay. I'm starting the process. Got now. it. Got it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we've got it. Also, can I express it? So schools are kind of like, they're like sponges, right? We always talk about kids' brains being sponges. But the school itself is like a sponge. And it just wants everything around it to get sucked in there. Like it's always needs something. So my family is one where like if there's a vacuum of leadership, like we fill it. That's what we do, right? Mm-hmm. If there's, you know, something that's needed, then we try to, well, we'll try to do it. Like the I'm assistant coach of the baseball league this year, right? And it was yeah. like a part-time job. It was so much work. <laughs> And now um, my wife is now installed as the 
vice president of the PTA. Ah. They came calling. Ooh, that's a big commitment. I know. <laughs> I know. She's like, you have to Can't, help, you know. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll be there for it's you. It's a lot of work. It can be political also. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And then, uh, you know, it's like, it's like there's always something more you can do at the school. Yes. Like my mom is helping. Huh. You know, my wife is now fully involved. It's like uh, a lot going on. There's, yeah, they they will. That's true. They will soak you for everything you are willing to give yeah, them. Yeah, like, like they're- And we're not even talking about dollars here. We're talking about time. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. just like, there's this opportunity. We need somebody to do this. Somebody needs to, because there was a whole like transition. We had this like core group of people taking care of things uh, for years. And now they're moving on to middle school and different things. So yeah. Whew. It lightens up in the middle and high schools. Does it? Yes. <laughs> All right. I do like the summers for one reason. One is that there's not a time limit on getting out the door in the same way. Like getting the kids to school in the morning is brutal. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is. Why don't they just change? Like, I wish it was like 20 minutes later. 20 minutes would be enough to fix everything. I don't I don't understand why. I mean, I know the arguments that like sports, for example, are hard to fit right. in after school. And it used to be bus schedules, but there's hardly any busing anymore. So that's not there as an excuse any longer. Yeah. So speaking of after school, that's what this week's show is about. We have a discussion about that very crucial issue. What happens after school? Mm-hmm. Where do you go? your kids go what opportunities are available for people who don't have a lot of resources what opportunities are there for people who do yeah and how important it is that time period of like what 2 30 to 6 p.m there's a lot that can happen there there yes you said you once had your hands on stats that showed like that's when teenage pregnancies happen the most or something like that yeah dig that up i can't remember the stat but uh (laughs) it it, it makes sense doesn't it that there's a lot of uh teenage conceptions that happen in those after school hours but also crime statistics i've seen graphs of when youth uh, juvenile crime occurs and it's it peaks in that three to six time not in the evenings right um so uh, police tend to like after school programs as much as any of the rest of us. I found myself talking to a guy who he started the conversation holding up a phone with a video of his son driving a car. His son was eight <gasps> in like a dirt road somewhere. And he's like, look, I taught him how to drive a car. And I was like, what did you do that for? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My son is not getting anywhere near. And he's like, well, I just teach him everything. I taught him this. I taught him this. He needs, and he's like a great, baseball hitter and he's a great skateboarder and he rode his bike at three and i'm like oh man i, I my son just learned to tie his shoes and i i literally jumped up and down i was just <laughs> the happiest guy that's ever yeah. i just saw i just saw something that said that um parents tend to be either architects or gardeners so your friend is an architect parent and okay. you and and me we're more like gardener parents we just sort of set Set the fertilizer in there, give them good soil, air, and water, and hope that they thrive. <laughs> okay. I, that's, that, I'll tell myself that. Um, <laughs> all right. So, yes, we have that discussion about aftercare. Let's go through some news of the recent times. So, uh, the election happened. You saw that? I did. I saw it. I felt it. <laughs> I participated. I voted. So, one interesting thing, Santa Unified School District has five board members of the Board of Education there. Kevin Beiser in District B and Mike McQuarrie in District C were running unopposed. However, the Republican Party was able to get two candidates to qualify as write-in candidates. 
And what's interesting, one of the Republican Party chairman, Tony Kvark, was telling me that it's really hard to get those 200 signatures uh, to get qualified as a write-in candidate. So you, you can't just write in. Like, you have ah. to get qualified as a write-in. Okay. And so he said it was it was brutal, and they had to pull out all the stops to get it, but they got it. So I know it's hard because I knew two other women who were trying to get those signatures, and one of them, Loxie, uh, Loxie Gantz, she was, she's the one that uh, helped us. Uh, she spoke out against the teacher at La Jolla High School mm-hmm. who uh, had right. groped her years ago and then found out later that he was still there and doing the same thing. And she was so fired up about her experience, she was considering running. Uh, she was five signatures short. <gasps> oh, Can you imagine that? No. So <laughs> close. Uh, so the... Anyway, so that's how hard it was. Those two uh, qualified. So if you're in District B, which is the like Scripps Rant, the Tierra Santa area and such, uh, Kevin Beiser's running. But now um, Tom Kellinoy is qualified, and he will because he only got he only needed one vote to move on to the runoff. So he will be on the ballot now, not just as a write-in. Okay, people uh, have a choice. And then Mike McQuarrie in District C, which is along the coast up to La Jolla. Uh, there is a woman, Marsha Nordstrom, who qualified as well. Okay. You might remember her as, as somebody who was named to run for the supervisor seat, but never qualified for that. So in the other election news, uh, crucial to local schools in the county board of education race, there was a big one uh, in the 5th district. Rick Shea was running against Cheryl Ward. Cheryl uh, is the director of education innovation at the E3 Charter High School downtown, and she was uh, running against Che. She came up just a little bit short. I think he was at like 54%. Sounds right, yeah. And uh, in the other race, uh, the Alicia Munoz, she secured her incumbency there as well. So charter advocates and teacher unions pumped at least a half a million dollars, according to KPBS, into the race. I didn't even see any of that. Um, I'm usually privy to some of those uh, mailers and such, but... They were fighting it out again, apparently. I so. got them. Did you? Yeah, because we're in Rick Shea's district. Oh, okay. Yeah. Was it he- heavy? It was, yeah, it was really a lot. You gotta send that stuff to me. Oh, okay, I will next time. Come on. <laughs> That's my thing. Okay, yeah. Laura. <gasps> All right. I'm kind of mad. <laughs> Forgive me. I didn't know. I, I thought it was a quiet race, but it was it was not. Yeah. Okay. Finally, this month marks the fifth year for Superintendent Cindy Martin. Happy anniversary. So she uh, is the San Diego Unified School District Superintendent, largest school district, of course, in the region, second in the state. And she was plucked from her post as a principal without any vetting or any search process at all. They just said she's the one. Mm -hmm. She's so good at principaling and speaking about all these things. And she's great. So let's get her. Uh, they actually had to redo the vote because they didn't do they didn't even meet properly for the whole thing. It was that hasty. So it was really a test, like how great she can be. So it's kind of a mixed bag. Uh, Mario Coran, last piece he did for us after he even left. Um, he worked with us a little bit to finish it off. So he reviewed it. Um, so there were kind of two measures, uh, the specific data measures that he used. One was uh, the... There was a lot of talk about some of the issues at Lincoln High and other things, but as far as specific data issues, one was this question of um, her goal to keep kids or to make sure kids felt more 
and parents felt more attracted to their local schools. Mm-hmm. And so in 2013, when she started, just over 44% of parents across the district chose to send their children to schools outside the neighborhood. And now, take a guess. I, I think I know the answer. It's about the same. <laughs> about the same. About the same. Yeah. Uh, the other area of interest, so she uh, she and the school district have been touting a lot the um, the, the scores on the National Assessment of Educational Progress. Mm-hmm. The results show San Diego Unified to be the only large school district to make gains in fourth grade math and reading scores since 2015. Yeah, that's good. So um, while the scores rose, of course, overall, the gaps in test scores between Latino and white students, as well as black and white students, uh, remain largely stagnant, shrinking less than 1% for both one percentage point for both subjects over three years of math and reading. So yeah, lots. So everybody going up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, last year, 68% of white students in San Diego Unified met or exceeded state standards in math, while just 25.4% of black students did the same. So there is a lot of work to do. But one of those areas that really does matter is this after scare after after school um, time. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that can be achieved there. If you, it's not just a babysitting experience. So, all right, you have a what's working this week? I do. So um, we'll be talking some with our guests later on about the funding they receive from the state that comes through Prop 49. Prop 49 was passed in 2002. It was a it was an, um, a measure that Schwarzenegger championed. It was his first big victory was getting this measure passed. And so he picked after school as the one thing to focus on. We haven't seen a lot of focus on after school since then, but um, it authorized um, and set aside funding in the state budget for after school education every year. And most states don't have that. So what we um, wish were maybe more robust and more widespread in this free subsidized after school programming that we have in California, at least it's there at all. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the After School Alliance, which is a national advocacy group for after school programming, rated California's after school programs number one in the nation in 2016, I believe it was, wow. because of the number or proportion of kids who have uh, who are involved in formal after school programs in schools and the quality also of that programming. Because one thing you can do when you pay for it by the state is you can set quality standards for it and regulate that. So mm-hmm. um, we're, we're lucky to have it. But what's the number of the week? The big, big victory was getting Prop 49 passed, but then the legislature kept the reimbursement rate, the per child rate at the same level for 11 years until they finally um, increased it last year. So um, as we'll hear from our guests, it was $7.50 per child per day for all of that time and until last year when they finally increased it up to $8.16, which is great that it increased finally, but that's just an 8.8% increase. And if it were to keep pace with inflation, it would be at $9.32 per kid per day hmm. right now in 2018. So they didn't even make up a third of the of the gap. So the program's value or the amount of investment by California in its after-school program has eroded steadily. Yeah, and as we're going to talk about, like there's a really interesting angle in that because as the, as the state and um, local cities raised minimum wage, which is, a, which is very important for some of these programs, 
that didn't correspond necessarily to a proportional increase in the funding they're getting. It did not correspond at all to, yes. yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, they conceded a small 8.8% increase last year, but with the minimum wage increase plus erosion due to inflation, they're still right. off the mark. So let's talk to some experts. Damon Beach from the County Office of Education works with districts and charter schools on what he calls expanded learning programs. What I do every day is work um, with districts and charter schools around San Diego County to provide before and after school programs, better known as expanded learning programs. Um, they provide a safe space for students between the hours of two and six or whenever school is dismissed until at least six o'clock every day. Mm -hmm. um, they have academic components, they have enrichment components, they're all types of things these students have the ability to be exposed to. And it, um, it gives them a safe environment. It gives them somewhere to be that's positive and productive. There's academic outcomes. So specifically for the programs that I monitor, they're state and federally funded. Mm -hmm. The uh, state funded programs are called ACES programs, after school safety and education. It's a voter initiative, Proposition 49, where the voters came together and said, we wanna make sure that there's funding available statewide in California. So there's a $600 million investment every year that goes to fund those programs. We also spoke with Brad Lupian. He's the CEO of ARC, A-R-C, which provides some of these programs. Our organization is kind of broken up into divisions, although I'm not sure that internally they would talk about that. But we have our traditional after school programs for elementary, middle and high school. Mm -hmm. And then we do have a whole team of facilitators and guides that lead outdoor education excursions, rock climbing, kayaking, mountain biking, backpacking, all with the focus on teaching character development and life skills through those outdoor education experiences. If I see something happening at an elite private school, I'm going to try and get it at our underserved public schools. Mm -hmm. So what I think needs to happen is there needs to be robust visual and performing arts programs at all schools and after schools an opportunity to introduce that. I think there needs to be more physical education by trained physical educators and after schools an opportunity to do that. I think that there needs to be opportunities for tutoring and homework help and academic remediation and intervention for young people and after school becomes a method to offer that. There are some interesting funding challenges. Here's Brad Lubian from ARC again. That is a problem with the funding for after school, which is a full elementary school grant is to serve 84 students. And we have schools with three, four, five, six hundred students. At a high school, you've got some of our bigger high schools with 3,000 students in them, and we get funding to serve 130 a day. Mm. That's max capacity. So there's wait lists at almost all of the high quality after school programs across the county. So my issue is I am 100% for a $15 an hour minimum wage. Mm -hmm. But when that goes into effect or is right now in Los Angeles going into effect, there was no change for 10 years to the reimbursement rate for the after school grants. Mm. So we were seeing no change in funding, but we were seeing an increase in minimum wage and that created deficits and had, I was talking about closing about 30% of our programs because we just couldn't make the math work. So last year we went up to Sacramento um, with wonderful support from a few assembly folks and, and, and senators. And we asked for a $100 million increase, which moved the daily reimbursement rate to, from $7.50 per student per day to now $8.19. I asked Damon Beach if he saw some of the same things. 
the minimum wage has gone up, mm-hmm. but not necessarily the state allocation. Mm-hmm. What are the pressures that the programs are facing right now? Those are some of the pressures. And Brad, he's one of our program providers here in San Diego County. Um, minimum wage has gone up. Um, inflation is always there. And for a long time, uh, Proposition 49 is a state um, initiative. Yeah. It hit its threshold, which gave us a raise in 2006, 2007. Uh, since that time, and I've been around that long, we got our first raise in funding in a year. So we went from $7.50 per student per pupil per day to an eight nineteen reimbursement rate. Although um, that's not a large reimbursement rate, it's enough to continue to do things. Um, as a field, we've continued to go back and do things of this nature to get the word out so parents and families know that this isn't an add-on. This is something that we need, that we desperately need. If the voters voted this as an initiative, we're hopeful that the state legislature views it as important enough to be able to give us additional funding. So Brad, what could we do? I think the thing that people can do is become educated about what after school really is. I think people often think of it as babysitting after school. Yeah. And one of the major pieces is that we allow working parents to work until six o'clock and that is critically important yeah it's a workforce issue it is a workforce and an economic issue yeah but it is also more than just babysitting there is robust enrichment and career readiness and college access and visual and performing arts happening and and that's a piece i think people need to be aware of and if you believe in the work and support it uh let your elected officials know that the after school is important to to our communities and to you and uh, reach out both state and federal elected officials. Yeah, right now um, we've had wonderful support from Assemblywoman Gonzalez Fletcher. She recently signed on to a letter supporting uh, the seventy six million dollar increase uh, in past years. Uh, Senator Hueso and um, Rocky Chavez and Shirley Weber have also signed similar letters. They haven't this year, um, but. That's at the local level yet um, right now, um, you know, reaching out to folks up in Sacramento uh, that aren't necessarily just the San Diego folks is important as well. So what would you advise parents who are choosing a school for their kid about how to pick a school where the after school will be there for them? My recommendation would be to talk to the administration at the school to ask if there is an after school program, but have the follow up question of how long is the wait list? For your after school program. I think my recommendation would be, depending on the community, and I recognize that there's varying socioeconomic situations, vastly varying across San Diego County, but one thing that can work is to have parallel programs. You can have an ACES program on a school campus, which is free or uses a sliding scale for students, grant funded, and you can also have a parent pay program on the same campus. So there are providers out there that would love to get onto campuses to say, we can do a low cost, high quality program on the site. And they say, oh, well, we've got an ACES grant. You can run both programs at the school if there's a need and if there's parents willing to fund it. Well, like everything in education, there are a lot of problems that money apparently can solve, but a lot of others that we need better leadership on. Hopefully everyone can get access to a good quality after school and before school opportunity And that is part of making great schools for all.